All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Adam's Word podcast. We're uh, uh, excited to do another episode and have everyone listen again and um, continue our quest to really get to know our fellow ward members a little bit better, as well as make living histories. Um, Tonight, we get to uh, listen to the life of, of Michael Call. We're excited to have him with us. And we'll kind of just jump right in and get to know him a little bit. So, Michael, thanks for being on with us. And um, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about uh, where you're from, your childhood, and uh, your your family growing up? You bet. Um, uh, I was born in Blackfoot, Idaho, to my mom and biological father. Uh, my parents divorced when I was just a baby, not even a year old. And my mother and I were alone in San Diego for a couple of years. And then when I was uh, about four-ish, she and I went up to Linden, Utah, and she resumed nursing school at BYU. Um, And we were alone, just the two of us, until I was somewhere between five and six when she remarried. And my stepfather, Terry Walker, became my dad. I never had any interaction with my biological father uh, from the time that my parents divorced. And I was raised in Linden, Utah from the time that I was about six. Um, My uh, relationship with my stepdad was extremely rocky. Um, He had baggage that he brought from a a prior marriage and experiences in life and uh, it just was really really rocky Uh, very stern Um, we lived very close to my grandparents farm and spent a great deal of time um, working on the farm and there was lots of hard work on the farm it was just Imagine. farms are hard work <laughs> yep. and it wasn't a little farm it was a big farm and there was just a lot to do um, and so uh, that's where I grew up and uh, uh, I actually left home just a couple months shy of high school graduation uh, things with my stepfather and I were very rocky and uh, came to a head and he basically said it's time you're out on your own and I packed my bags and left Wow. And that was a very hard time. Um, learned a lot of independence and <laughs> to be careful with what little money I had. And um, uh, long story short, uh, I continued alone until I served a mission. And at the time that I was preparing to serve a mission, my Mom and stepdad actually separated, and then from there I went into the mission field, and they actually got back together. It was a bit of a roller coaster ride, and I spent two years in Argentina, and um, then came home, and the rest is history. I don't know if that's another question or if I'm supposed to. Yeah, we can. Um... 
Uh, did you have any other siblings in the home with you? Or oh, yes. You know? Thank you very much. Um, my my uh, mom and dad, uh, or stepdad, uh, had three children. My closest sibling is Michelle. Uh, we're eight years apart, and she is absolutely incredible, and I love her. And then a brother, Sterling, and then Stephanie. And because we come from different fathers, uh, we were raised differently in most regards, but uh, I still love them. I'm closest to my sister Michelle. So, okay. yeah. thank you. Um, no, I kind of want to ask you a little bit more about uh, farm life. Like, what what kinds of chores did you do on the farm? Did what, were there animals, or was it more like uh, picking up rocks and? And pulling weeds in the fields, or uh, the farm was too big to pull weeds in the field. <laughs> so I learned at an early age to uh, drive a variety of tractors. We had an old International. Uh, we had a little Ford front end loader. Uh, the newest tractor that we had was a Massey Ferguson uh, that was way cool. And I learned uh, uh, first driving the tractor when we were hauling hay and uh, driving the old Ford that did not have good brakes. <laughs> um, and so uh, we raised, uh, we would circulate the crops from alfalfa, um, field corn, um, grain. Um, and so uh, learned uh, how to operate the, the swather, the rake, uh, the marker, um, planters, um, cultivators, uh, plow, plow always scared me because if it was wet when you were plowing, you start raising the front end of the tractor up and yeah, that didn't excite me very much. So yeah. I was never very good at plowing. <laughs> um, and uh, there was everything to do with uh, taking care of the livestock. We had uh, cattle, pigs, uh, so we were constantly uh, chopping grain, had a big geel uh, grain chopper. Um, where you'd pull grain out of a, a huge uh, silo. And uh, um, yeah, probably one of my most memorable experiences was uh, chopping field corn. We had an old John Deere uh, chopper that was pulled by a tractor and it had a chute that came out and it would, it would go into the back of a large truck and it was an old John Deere corn chopper. So the chute didn't work very well. So I had the pleasant job of standing in the back of those big trucks and I would manually guide the chute so that you could equally distribute the load so you'd fill the truck all the way full and have it all even. And my goodness, um, when those pieces of corn cob would come out of that chute and knock me in the head. <laughs> Just about knock me unconscious. Boy. And I laugh about it now. It was it was <laughs> it's dramatic. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it was pretty traumatizing when I was a little boy. But uh, yeah, so there were lots of uh, good experiences. I learned to work hard and I learned to appreciate when my efforts were recognized. It was... Uh, it was a big, big deal. Perfect. Um, so you mentioned your your mission in Argentina. 
did you always know you were going to serve a mission where you raised in the church and knew you were going to go um, after you left home during your end of your high school years? Was that still on the radar or how did the mission come into play? I always felt being raised in a family that was, um, well, well, my parents in our immediate family were not super active in the church. Um, our extended family was very active in the church. All of the, almost all of the siblings served missions and I knew it was expected of me and it was something that I just wanted to do. Most of them actually served missions in South America. My grandfather was a mission president in uh, Chile and then he was an MTC MTC president in Lima, Peru. And so, yeah, there was kind of that expectation, and I wanted to learn Spanish. Uh, started in junior high, and then high school, became pretty proficient at it. And so, uh, yes, I, I felt that I was expected to serve, and it was my duty to serve. And yes, I wanted to. I was afraid. Uh, that was when my parents had separated, right before I went into the MTC, and so I was torn inside feeling like should I be with my mom helping her she just separated from my dad but I went and um, my mission was a life-changing experience for me Um, I think you know from past conversations that uh, of the 22 months I spent in Argentina I spent 12 of those as branch president in two separate branches, very, very small branches in extremely rural areas of Argentina, uh, hours away from any other missionaries. And those were incredible growing experiences. I bet. And so, yeah. I know um, uh, if we've listened to Bishop McAllister's episode from, from last week, he kind of discussed how he learned how uh, the churches run by by serving in Seattle in, in a, a stateside mission. Um, but I can't imagine that being a branch president in South America, I'm sure you learned a lot of the same things there <laughs> of how maybe the church needs to run and maybe wasn't running. Um, but I'm sure a lot of the lessons that came out at the end were, were similar, maybe. I don't know... Do you have any thoughts on that? (laughs) Um, The church was not run in those small branches (laughs) like uh, it was run um, in my home area. Uh, As a branch president, I was called upon to conduct uh, a a church court, church disciplinary action. I was a 19-year-old boy, and I was in charge of a church disciplinary action. these were growing experiences. I just don't have good words to describe. I can't imagine. Um, uh, there was no, but I, I had a district president um, a couple of hours away that I could call, or the mission president, but he was very difficult to reach. And so I was having to make decisions about things that typically a bishop would make decisions <laughs> about, someone that has experience and understanding and. I lacked all of the above, um, but uh, I 
I was most successful and enjoyed myself the most when I stopped worrying about how things should be run. And instead, I, I chose to focus on the one. Um, and when I realized that that's what the Savior would do, he wouldn't worry about the administration and about everything happening perfectly. He would care about the person right in front of him right now. And when I did that, when my companion and I chose to do that, uh, we had some incredible experiences. One uh, with installing uh, an old porcelain toilet for a family that had used an outhouse for years that uh, I've already shared with you. And it was, it was a life-changing experience for me. My kids laugh about it because they don't understand, but it was, it was an amazing experience that um, helped me to draw close to heaven as I never before in my life had. Thank you. <clears throat> no, I think there's a lot of experiences out there that can't be put into words. You have to experience them and go through them to really understand and grow from, from those things. Um, so as you came home from your mission and started looking at your future, um, how did you choose a career path and kind of tell us how you've come to be in the work spot that you've arrived in today? Okay. Well, um, those that, that, that know me, um, uh, know that I've actually been involved in a variety of different industries. Um, after Samoth and I uh, met and married, uh, I chose to pursue a career as a full-time seminary teacher for the church. And we were hired to do so after graduating from BYU and spent four years doing that in Idaho Falls and Rigby, Idaho. And then I had a burr under my saddle, and I, to this day I'm still not 100% sure what it was, <laughs> And I just felt like, oh, isn't there something more exciting that, that's waiting for me? And that led to a transition away from the church education system. We moved to Spokane for the first time. And I worked with my father-in-law, Jim Fox, and was involved with Family Home Mortgage, learning how to process construction loans. And long story short, we ended up being here in Spokane for eight years, and I worked with uh, a couple of sister companies involved in real estate acquisition, um, uh, property management, and I tired of it and decided I need to go back to church education. That's, that's <laughs> my love. I love to teach the gospel. And so we made a huge decision and we sold our home. It sold within 24 hours and we moved back to Idaho Falls so that I could go back to school at uh, in Rexburg and uh, hopefully be rehired as a full-time seminary teacher and while we were there for that two-year time frame uh, I worked uh, ended up working as a business manager at Bish's RV um, it, but it was just intended to be a, a crutch a transition a bridge yeah uh, another long story short I wasn't hired I went through the classes I taught fully expecting I'd be rehired they said, oh, you're just not what we want anymore. Huh. I was devastated. <laughs> we ended up moving back to Spokane. 
and I worked with a family uh, entity that owned and operated uh, 11 Taco Time restaurants in this area. And I was the, the comptroller. I did all the financial controlling, human resources, payroll, accounting, all of that. Good, good, good opportunity. Uh, after five years, they sold the company. It was not as profitable as they wanted. They sold it, and I ended up becoming a funeral director, uh, tied in with an experience I had before my mission, where I was a, an apprentice, apprentice embalmer down in San Diego. And so I decided I would pursue that. And I ended up doing that for almost four years. And then the, the industry trends began to change here in our area uh, from traditional burial to direct cremation, which has become far more popular. And I was not in the industry to do that. <laughs> I wanted to be a counselor. And uh, so I made a change. And it was about that time that my father-in-law, Jim Fox, passed away unexpectedly. And we were just in a whirlwind. Uh, I ended up spending a two-year stint. I uh, went back to my accounting background with Butler Robinson and uh, decided that sitting in a, an office, staring at three big monitors and a 10-key doing taxes was not uh, a good fit for me. And from there, uh, uh, transitioned to uh, working with a residential roofing company as operations manager. Loved being on the roof. It was good work. Lost weight. <laughs> loved the physical exercise. And he made a change after I'd been with him a year. And I uh, decided that I was going to go into the, the business of helping people with Medicare. Um, it's about as complex as the U.S. tax code, and I've studied that, and it's an opportunity to help, to counsel, to educate. I don't consider myself a salesman, and it has been an incredible opportunity for me to connect with people that I love and appreciate, and to help them understand a system that can be extremely confusing. And so... I've been uh, uh, helping folks with Medicare for about the last two years. That's Perfect. where I am now. <clears throat> That's great. Um, how about we go back? Uh, you mentioned Samatha just briefly. Let's just give us a, a brief story on how you guys met. We were missionaries in the MTC. I was headed to Argentina. She was headed to Paraguay. And um, as I previously explained my parents were separated and it was at Christmas time and I was not a happy camper. I was very sober. I was second guessing myself wondering why on earth am I here? I should be home helping my mom. And Samantha comes from a family of nine, extremely lively, energetic, annoying sometimes, <laughs> just all of the above. Anybody that knows the foxes will know exactly what I'm talking about. But she was happy. She was happy. And I was attracted to how happy she was. Um, our classrooms were on the same floor. Um, we would meet each other occasionally. Nothing happened. We went on our missions and came home. And after our missions, uh, we met again at the MTC as teachers. Wow. <laughs> uh, we've both been home for 
eight, nine, ten months, and we met each other, and we began to date while we were teaching the night shift at the MTC, going to school full-time at BYU. Our first date, we went to the late show of Hunt for Red October, our favorite movie, <laughs> and that's, that's where it went. Um, <clears throat> Told you a little bit about where how we we came to to be here in Spokane. Uh, bottom line is that one of the questions that you had posed to me earlier was uh, life changing events. My my choice to marry Samatha and her choice to marry me has without a doubt been the most life changing choice I have ever made or ever will uh, being being with her through all of our ups and downs which have been many having nine children <coughs> um, she is the greatest source of of support, of patience, of forgiveness, of love, of compassion, of testimony that I could ever hope to have. She believes wholeheartedly in covenants and um, I'm very, very thankful that both of us share a very strong conviction of the power of covenants um, in helping us, especially through the rough times in, in a marriage relationship, knowing that we're not just tied and covenanted to each other, but that we're also tied and covenanted to our heavenly parents. So, yeah. Perfect. <clears throat> Love it. Um, I think we've kind of talked a little bit about how you gained a testimony through growing up and hard work and your family and stuff growing up. Um, anything uh, specific you want to touch about on your uh, adult life as, as far as um, the gospel is concerned and, and how your, your testimony has been nurtured in your adult life, um, what has caused you to continue to believe in God and, and follow Him uh, over the years, basically? Um, going back to my mission experience, when I was the branch president, I mentioned that there, there was nobody patting me on the back, telling me, oh, good, good job, Elder Call. Yeah, you're, oh, you're doing a fantastic job. Oh, yes, well done. I was on my own. I was always the senior companion. My junior companion didn't have a clue what he was doing. <laughs> I was completely in charge. And... Um, I began to learn how critical it was for me to rely on what I felt inside from a connection with heaven. That I, I couldn't call my mission president, I couldn't call the district president, I couldn't rely on anybody in the entire town where I lived to really provide me that, that moral um, internal support. I had to learn to rely 
on a personal, very intimate relationship with, with my Heavenly Father, with the Savior. And in subsequent years after my mission, I described to you very in brief uh, transitions between different types of employment. And those transitions were, quite frankly, um, hellacious experiences filled with intense emotion, depression, discouragement, self-loathing. I'm, I'm not good enough. Man, I, I'm just a horrible failure. I've, I've done this not just once or twice, but several times. Why can't I get this right? And as much as Samatha would try to, to support and sustain and lift me, the greatest power came when I would go back to what I learned in Argentina. And I would communicate from the depths of my soul whatever range of emotions I was experiencing from day to day. And I've just always known that somebody's listening and that he cares. And when I finish, there's enough peace and confidence that I know I can get up tomorrow and I can start a new day. And that that's how my life works. My, my trust in the Lord um, is, is renewed on a daily basis. As I get up each morning, I go on my walk. You know I love to walk every single morning. I, I love to walk. It wakes up my physical body. It wakes up my mind. And it wakes up my spirit. helps me overcome feelings of discouragement, depression, um, inadequacy and feel like I can do this and that in in conjunction with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and just feeling that he's there he's aware of me um, it, it it's what keeps me going it is my anchor and quite honestly it probably goes back to when I was a little boy and things were rough with my stepfather and there, there was not the affection, the attention and the acceptance, the validation that I sought for that any little boy would look for. And I think I probably learned pretty early that when I knelt down and said, are you there? Are you there? Are you listening? Do you care? because I feel like nobody does. And I, I think I learned pretty quick to rely on those subtle but powerful feelings that would come and say, yes, I'm here, I'm real. This is not a work of fiction. This is reality. And you're gonna be okay, Michael. That's great. Thank you. I've got uh, two more quick questions. Hopefully we can get through them. Um, uh, one, you mentioned nine children. <clears throat> uh, many of the board members know you guys as the call clan. Um, could you just, uh, I don't know if we can do this briefly, but 
briefly just explain what you've learned from raising nine kids. I know you're still raising a few of them, but what's, how do you raise nine kids and what have you learned from it? Uh, in brief, things have not turned out like Samoth and I anticipated. Uh, it's no secret that we've got several of our children who uh, we hope temporarily, but we don't know, have uh, opted to walk away from uh, their beliefs, their faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in varying degrees. And uh, we have a son-in-law who has left the church completely. Um, and it has, it has become a constant struggle, learning experience, looking for the balance between standing firm in, in the faith that Samoth and I still embrace. It is our life. It's everything to us while respectfully honoring the agency of children who decide for whatever reason that that's not the path that they want to pursue at this time. And Samoth and I, uh, we, we, we see it differently. She, she is the part of us that is constantly uh, striving to draw near to them, to draw them in, draw them back, if you will, and I'm, I'm more of the prodigal son's father who kind of quietly says, you know what, if that's how you feel, I, 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 I'm okay with that and I'm going to do my best to respect it and prefer to wait for them to come back, to call, to reach out. I'm not as good at that as what I would like to be. <laughs> but um, I guess the most, the most powerful thing, <coughs> in short, is the same lesson that I learned as a branch president. That the most powerful experiences with my children have not been during the easy times. They've been during the rough times. One on one. When instead of being together as a whole, it's me with one child working through a challenge together. Um, because in the end, as important as our families are, I really believe that our families can't pull us into heaven. As individuals, we have to want to get there. And those one-on-one -on -one experiences between me and my Heavenly Father and the Savior and my children and I, or with their Heavenly Father, are the most life-changing experiences that can result in, in those changes of, of perspective, of attitude, of faith, that result in them 
choosing to draw near unto the Lord so that he can draw near unto them. So in a nutshell, I, I'd probably say that that's the most important lesson I am still learning is to honor agency, to love one-on-one -on -one as best I can and not worry about the rest. Yeah. Well, I think that leads perfectly into um, last comments from you. What does being a follower of Jesus Christ mean to you? To me, following Jesus Christ means that It mean, <clears throat> excuse me. It means that I am not ashamed in any group of people, whether it's in my own home with my own family, or at church, or at work, wherever I am. I am not ashamed to witness that I know and I love Jesus Christ. That He is the most important person in my life, along with Samatha. And I am so grateful for him. I hope that he comes sooner than later. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> with everything going on in the world, it just would be so much more convenient if uh, he'd just come to the conclusion that, you know what, enough is enough. It's time. I'm ready to transition into the millennium. Let's, let's pull the trigger on this and, and get her done. But uh, uh, it, it, it is a personal choice for me. I don't feel that I, I follow Christ because it's the right thing to do. I, I feel that I follow him because I want to. Because it is the absolute best way I have yet found to live my life, to feel good about who I am, to not be afraid of what everybody else thinks of me and however many times I fall. Because whenever I look to him and my relationship with him, I know that he is far more concerned that I merely get up after each time that I fall than he is with the number of times I actually fall. Perfect. And that's the most important thing to me. Love it. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation and uh, hope that all of you love it as well. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.